the Data Driven Marketer, a podcast dedicated to helping today's marketing operations, demand gen, and sales operations professionals learn from each other's experiences to become more successful. Welcome to the podcast, The Data Driven Marketer. I'm Alan Pogorzelski. Now, in honor of our guest today, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to video. Our guest today is Tyler Lassard, VP of Marketing at Vidyard. Tyler, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Alan. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Now, you guys, uh, Vidyard is a household name in MarTech circles, but there are some of our listeners who aren't in MarTech. And so I'd like you to start by sharing with us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what Vidyard does. Yeah, we would love to. So as mentioned, Tyler Lassard, I'm the VP Marketing here at Vidyard. Uh, I actually started my career as an engineer. I'm an engineering graduate student from the University of Waterloo. I spent about 10 years at BlackBerry, initially doing development, uh, software development, and then developer support, and grew into a role of building and supporting uh, a global partner ecosystem. Eventually, I made my way over to the dark side of marketing, and I've been here at Vidyard for the last six years, uh, running our marketing team. The team here at Vidyard, we are a suite of video technologies for marketing and sales teams in uh, in businesses. So on the marketing side, we help businesses post, manage, publish, and track their online video content in a much richer way than a YouTube or a Vimeo. And on the sales side, we have simple tools that make it easy for sales reps to record and send personalized one-to-one videos as part of their outreach to customers to humanize the sales process. So really excited to be here and uh, peel back a little bit about how we're doing things uh, here within our own marketing and sales teams. That's awesome. I'm pretty excited to hear some more about this. Now, now you guys use the term that the digital engagement revolution, and I, I love that term. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Yeah, I mean, as a marketer myself and, and living at this intersection of, uh, you know, marketing technology and creative content like video, I'm hyper aware of how things are changing with respect to how buyers are interacting with brands, how they're going through their processes of researching and and learning about companies, and then ultimately how they're uh, going through uh, a buying process. And I think, you know, every analyst out there validates the fact that the, the buyer's journey is changing significantly. It's changed a lot over the last 10 to 15 years, and it's going to continue to change in the next uh, three to five years as people explore and evaluate companies in different ways. And the biggest change fundamentally is that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the buying journey used to be, you know, people would do 10 to 20% of their buyer's journey um, on their own, where they would start to look at potential brands, but then they would, you know, more quickly contact vendors, talk to sales reps to learn about their solutions, to get pricing, to get feature sheets, and uh, they'd go through a longer, you know, one-to-one sales process. But those days are are no longer. Most people are now doing, you know, 80 to 90% of the buying journey themselves, self-serve online in the digital landscape, right? They're looking at websites, they're looking at review sites, they're consuming content from various sources to learn in a self-serve manner about the problems they're trying to solve, the kinds of vendor solutions that are out there, and to make a good part of their buying decision. So as companies, we need to think a lot more about how we engage buyers in that digital world and handle the majority of that marketing and sales process upfront in a friction-free way to, uh, to make sure that we can you know, really build relationships with buyers before they even contact our sales teams. Mm, that's great. That's great. I really love what you guys do. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. You guys have, have created essentially a brand new category. And many of us 
and that our listeners are all trying to do exactly the same thing. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about the strategy you guys have had and, and how you've worked to build up this space into what it is today. Yeah, it's been really fascinating experience, to be honest, and something I'm still learning about every day here as we look at the data and the programs that we're running. But, you know, over the last seven or eight years, we've you know, really championed this category, actually two categories of uh, video marketing platform on the marketing side and video selling tools for, for sales reps. And, you know, what we found is over the years, we've made sure that we've been investing in a nice balance of both brand and demand programs to make sure that we are not following the conversation, if you will, but we're, we're really, we're leading the conversation. You know, we're writing the book. We're not reading it afterwards. And, and, you know, there's a lot, a lot of things that go into that. It's about having a strong content strategy. And from day one, we've had dedicated content marketers and video producers in our team who are consistently creating and sharing high value content. That's not about Vidyard. It's about how you do video marketing or how you sell with video. It's all helpful human content that's genuinely value add to the community. And those sorts of things get shared, they get noticed, they get passed around and they organically build our brand. We also invest in things like events where we can, you know, meet a lot of the people in the industry and have an outbound presence. But another key to it has been investing in partnerships. And in our world, some of our key partners are the likes of HubSpot and Marketo and Salesforce, companies who tend to have that core infrastructure for marketing and sales teams. And we've really doubled down on partnerships with them. And that allows us to turn their sales forces into feet on the street for us. They're all out there evangelizing our brand as well because of the way we partnered with them. So it's really a multi-pronged strategy. There's no silver bullet for it, um, but it's really being mindful of sort of all those different things you can do to, to build your brand in the market as a trusted advisor to really lead that kind of a category. Got it. Got it. Now, this brings up a really interesting topic. You know, given that you guys have generated all that content in your programs and you've been doing that since day one, Let's talk a little bit about what one of data-driven marketers' favorite topics, which are engagement and attribution. Yeah. I would love for you to share with us a little bit about the approach that you take and, and how that's evolved over time. Yeah, this has been uh, one of my best learning experiences at Vidyard is going through, uh, you know, five plus years of evolving our uh, technology stack, as well as how we look at and report on campaign performance, content performance, and then ultimately marketing attribution to sales and pipeline. And like many teams, uh, back in the early days when we were 30 to 40 people, we had a small marketing team of, you know, five to 10 folks. We started with a focus from a marketing side of, uh, you know, of, of tracking and reporting back on our top of funnel metrics. So we were very much focused on new inquiries on our website, new identified visitors, and then ultimately marketing qualified leads that we were passing off to sales and how many of those were turning into qualified opportunities. So we were very focused on that, but we were still pretty immature in, in how we could track that. We used first or last touch attribution as a, as a metric to mm -hmm to look at which programs were working. Um, but being a content-heavy organization, as you mentioned, we, we started to realize that the reporting just wasn't giving us as much as we needed to understand what was really working because you would only see those kind of big campaigns that could be directly tracked, right? We'd go out, we'd launch a research report that had a form in front of it. We could track that and know, did somebody fill out that form and did they turn into a lead or a customer? That was easy. Or we'd sponsor an event and we get a lead list. We could track that. 
But all these other things we were doing for brand, for content, through partnerships, we had no means to track that. And so all that effort wouldn't show up in the attribution report. You'd look at it and you go, all our leads are coming from these events and these webinars, but none from all this great content we're producing. And that always pained us because we knew in our hearts that it was a big part to all the inbound traffic and, and conversion we were doing. So we went about upon a journey over the last few years to implement a full, um, what we call a multi-touch attribution model, where we are now tracking all the dig digital interactions that people are doing with our content on our website, with our different programs. And we're looking at how are all those different touch points influencing, um, whether it's the first touch in a buyer journey, the last touch before they get flipped to sales or something in the middle. And we use a weighted attribution model to give us a sense for which programs, content assets, email campaigns, et cetera, are having the greatest impact, not just on lead gen and pipeline, but on actual revenue. So we're tying it all back in through Salesforce to understand how those different, right down to the content asset level, how they're impacting actual revenue of the business. It's been really eye-opening to do that. I bet. I bet. Now, one of the things that you mentioned that I thought was interesting is you talked about doing weighted attribution. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I know that's something a lot of people uh, are afraid to do. And, and the, yeah. the logic is, boy, you know, how do I justify one thing being weighted differently than another? So a lot of people weight everything evenly. Tell me about the thought process you guys had uh, when you developed that model. Yeah, it's always a tough one. And it, it is part art and part science. There, There is no uh, definitive best practice that, that everybody should use necessarily in terms of how they weight different um, contributions to, to, to pipeline. But what we, we ended up deciding on was to actually build a few different models that we could report back on to give us different views into how different campaigns were contributing and, and to use those as directional, not necessarily absolute answers to, to what mm -hmm. we were doing. So for example, we do first touch attribution reporting and we do have a separate dashboard that looks at what are all the campaigns, content assets, programs that are having the greatest impact from a first touch perspective. It means those are the ones that um, end up generating the most pipeline or revenue when they are the first touch point with a, a known prospect. We do another report that's last touch based. So we see again, which campaigns, content assets and programs are contributing the most to pipeline and revenue based on those being the last touch with a prospect before they were flipped to sales. And then we also do a, a U-shaped attribution model and we landed on a what's called the 40-20-40, where if a, if a campaign or content asset was the first touch, it gets 40% of the pipeline or revenue weighting. If it was the last touch, it gets 40% of the weighting. And, it, and all the touches in the middle um, get a total of 20% and it's equally distributed across those. Now it's not a perfect model, but we use all three of those to give us directional insights. And we look at those with that lens on it. And so we never say, oh, this content or this program didn't list in the top of any of those, so we're going to scrap it. We always look at it directionally and say, well, based on what we know about that program, what its intent was, does it look like it's contributing about the right amount? Or is it too high or too low? And we also use it to look for outliers. We'll find certain things that are you know, really standing out from a first touch perspective really standing out from a multi-touch perspective. And again, we'll look at that and go, oh, okay, now we understand where that fits in the buyer's journey and how it's helping. And uh, we can make a decision on whether we want to continue to invest in that or not. 
So it's really helpful data to help us make decisions, but not a single model, do I believe, can give you sort of absolute direction to say, thou shalt cut this and thou shalt spend more on that. You always <laughs> have to layer in your, your instincts and your insights as a marketer. Awesome. You know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of demand gen folks tend to get really excited about first touch and they forget about these other models and they're all equally important. Uh, particularly if you have a long and complex sales cycle with with multiple people involved in a buyer group. So well, it makes and, and sense to make sure that, yeah. Go ahead. I was say, that's such an important point, um, Alan, because we do have, we actually have varying sales cycles, which makes it really interesting for our business because we have a, kind of an emerging market business where it may only be mm -hmm. a 30-day a cycle and it's often one or two touches. But we also have an enterprise business that could be six to nine to 18 month cycles where people are in nurture programs for a period of time. So we've actually, through the multi-touch model, we've found certain assets, certain campaigns, certain content types that have performed really strongly as mid um, sort of uh, middle of the buyer's journey. They really pop in the multi-touch attribution. You can see that they are influencing a lot of people in their middle stages, but they don't show up anywhere on the first or last touch report. So again, as a marketer, you look at that and you think, geez, if I was just making decisions on first touch reporting, I probably would have axed that campaign. But now I see and I have visibility into knowing, yeah, it's actually influencing a lot of deals. It's just maybe the third or fourth or tenth thing that people are, are typically interacting with. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great advice. Now, I, I want to turn uh, turn to a different gear real quick and, and talk a little bit about career stuff as well, though, too, hmm. because that is so important for so many of our listeners. A lot of the folks that, that listen to this program are, are manager-level folks and director-level folks that, that really want to make it to that next level. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love you to share a little bit about how you look at the world now um, in your current role uh, at Vidyard as a VP compared to how you looked at the world early on in your career when you were just starting to get into marketing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very topical to what we're discussing here today because, to be honest, the biggest thing that I've seen in helping me grow my career and, frankly, grow this business here at Vidyard is really embracing um, a, a data-driven mindset as a marketer. When I started here at Vidyard, I had very limited experience in, you know, actually using data as a marketer. And uh, it was something that was an important part to this business because partly we're, we're sort of in that space as individuals. But I very quickly learned, you know, the difference between instinct-based uh, marketing and data-driven marketing. And, you know, I'm proven wrong time and time again when I make assumptions or expectations around, you know, which call to action is going to perform better, which campaigns are having the biggest impact on pipeline, which color should we use for a certain button, right? But when you're actually tracking, you know, a lot of these different things as a marketing team and using the data to help you make decisions, um, it's really a game changer. And it's been a really fascinating experience to be a part of a team like we have here, having dedicated operations teams who are looking at the data and insights, um, having that mindset throughout the organization where we are always looking at as much data as we can to help inform our decisions. And uh, that also creates a culture of experimentation, which is super important, and encouraging different teams to be trying and experimenting and doing split tests constantly, tweaking, you know, little increments here and there. And when you have that mindset, all those little improvements, all those little 
half a percent increases in conversion rates you start to create through heavy optimization. You know, a year or two later, that becomes five to 10% uh, increases overall. And those things really, really matter. So that's the, those are the kinds of things that I get really excited about now. And, and you know, really happy I've had a chance to learn here at Vidyard. Oh, that's awesome. Sage advice from the data-driven yeah. marketer. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, I really appreciate you, Tyler, taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us. I think our folks are going to get a lot of really, really uh, great feedback on this one. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. You have a great one. Thank you, Alan. You've been listening to The Data-Driven Marketer. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening and geeking out with us on data. Until next time. OpenPrize helps businesses automate their marketing and sales processes and clean up their data to make all their data-driven technologies actually work. Learn more at openprizetech.com.